continue the Bible series um, of the Bible Creation Account. And in today's teaching, we're doing the second of the uh, section dealing with the flood of Noah, or the flood that occurred in Noah's lifetime. Um, and in the previous teaching, we had a look at the impossibility of the ark being able to do what it was um, meant to do in the natural. And so in today's teaching, we're going to look at the supernatural aspect that God employed regarding his power in order for the ark to be able to accomplish that which God needed it to accomplish in order to save mankind and also all of the living species on the earth. And so with regards to the animals, um, all of those, uh, the species that um, exist with the breath of life in them, that were taken into the ark, how did God do that? Well, we can pick up in scripture, there are, there are uh, scriptural examples given to us of just how God actually did um, do certain aspects that we will discuss now. One of those is God placing individuals into a deep sleep. And uh, we have scriptural accounts of that taking place. In Genesis 2.21, we know of the account where God uh, put Adam into a deep sleep and he operated on Adam. He removed one of his ribs and he used that rib to form Eve. Um, so it's kind of an anesthetic that uh, Adam went under, but it was a deep sleep the scripture talks about. There's another account in scripture where God, uh, in 1 Samuel 26.12, placed the whole of Saul's army into a deep sleep. And David and whoever, I'm not too sure who was accompanying him at the time, were, were able to walk through the whole army camp up to Saul's um, location where he was in the middle of the army camp and remove Saul's spear and walk out of that. And no one was disturbed at all because God had placed them all into a deep sleep. And so... That's exactly what God did with all of the animals that uh, he placed into the ark. He placed them into a deep sleep for the full period of one year. And so they did not need to be fed food or drink water for that entire one year period because God held them in a deep sleep. But it goes a bit further than that also because not only did God place all of the creatures into a deep sleep, he also held them in one location. One, um, he kept them stationary the whole time. And again, we have scriptural evidence around that. And that is in Ezekiel 4.5. The prophet Ezekiel, God held in uh, place, fixed in place for a period of 390 days. So that's well over a year. Um, Ezekiel couldn't move. He was on his side. The only part of his body he could move were his arm and his head. Um, he ate food, he drank water that whole time, but throughout that whole time he had no bowel movement. And so God just caused the food that he ate and the water that he drank to simply dematerialize within his body during that 390 day period where God held him in a fixed position. His body was completely fixed on its side for 390 days. And so that's exactly what God did with all of these creatures that were placed into the ark. He put them into a deep sleep and he held them in a fixed position for that whole time. Now, one of them had any bowel movement. Um, so there wasn't the 50, 55 tons of waste that uh, Noah and his 
family would have had to try and get rid of every single day. And so they, the animals didn't need to be fed, they didn't need to be watered, and there was no bowel movement taking place. And, and all of them were held in a fixed position for the full year by the power of God. And so that's the supernatural aspect that has to be brought to bear in order for the ark account to, um, to be real from a, a biblical point of view, in order for it to actually do what it was meant to do. In the natural, couldn't happen. But when God gets involved with the supernatural power, then it does and can happen. Um, and so when, if we take out of the equation, because don't forget, we said we put down the equation, we said the ark couldn't carry the weight or it didn't have, couldn't have, it didn't have sufficient volume to accommodate all of the food and water that the animals needed to have for a full year. So if we take the food and water out of the equation, the ark was well able, both in weight and in volume, to accommodate all of those species, the 65,000 uh, animals that were boarded on the ark. We saw that very clearly, that, that was, um, there was more than sufficient space to accommodate the animals at that time. Um, and so that's how God overcame that problem. The supernatural power, uh, he put them into a deep sleep and he held them fixed in place for the full year. And so that just solved all of the logistical problems of having all of those animals in that confined space for a year. Passage of scripture we can look at um, with regards to this account again, because we do need to discuss uh, the food aspect again, is in Genesis chapter 6 verse 18 to 21. Um, scripture says, God speaking, but I will establish my covenant with you and you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you, and of every living thing and of all flesh you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive and with you, and they shall be male and female. Of the birds after their kind, of the animals after their kind, and after every creeping thing after its kind, of two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. And you shall take for yourself uh, of all food that is eaten, and you shall gather it for yourself, and it shall be food for you and for them. And so the point is raised from this passage of Scripture in verse 21 that God said to Noah, you're going to gather all the food for you and for them. And so the normal interpretation of that is that God is saying, for you, Noah, you need to get the food together for yourself, your family, and for them being all of that 65,000 um, animals that are going to come onto the ark. But that's not the case at all. When God is saying uh, that he, uh, the food he needs to gather, for you and for them, he's talking about you and them being his household um, in verse 18. Uh, your, your sons, your wife and your son's wives with you. So that's the food that God is talking about. Their food had to be uh, stored up. We've already mentioned it was roughly 2,000 kilograms of food. So it's inconsequential. Uh, and even their water supply of 200, I think it was 280,000 kilograms, we said, also inconsequential with regards to uh, the volume and weight that the ark could carry. So that's not an issue. So the question is then asked, okay, if there was no need for any water or food on the ark, uh, why all the extra space? Because we did say that the volume of the ark could carry, uh, um, could accommodate 440 um, 
cubic meter, 440,000, sorry, cubic meters of, of volume of space. And the animals only took up roughly half of that. And it was, we said there was empty space left over of roughly 220,000 cubic, uh, cubic meters. So what was all that space needed for then? Because a lot of people have said, see, we needed all that space for the food and water, but we've proven that that space wasn't sufficient at all for food and water. So what's, what was the reason? Why did God put that design in place with all of that open space, um, nearly half the size of the ark? Well, the reason that God did it is purely for ventilation, because now you've got 65,000 animal species in a very confined space. There's no, um, uh, you know, air conditioning in there. And they're all, they're, although they're in a deep sleep and they're fixed in place, they continue to breathe. And so as long as they continue to breathe, there's a lot of carbon dioxide coming out there. And so there needed to be the open volume of space in the ark in order to allow ventilation to take place, dispelling the carbon dioxide and allowing fresh oxygen to circulate within the ark. So it was purely for ventilation purposes that this vast space was required inside the ark. Because, as I say, you have 65,000 animals breathing continuously, you need to be able to ventilate that, and that's what the extra space was used for. So that now deals with that aspect of it. But So what about the animals getting to Noah in the first place? Well, some would have us to believe that what Noah did was that he went over throughout the earth and he trapped all of the animals that, uh, I'm just using the term animals, but obviously we're talking about birds, we're talking about reptiles, we're talking about amphibians. Um, so Noah and his, his family went out everywhere in the planet and they trapped them all and brought them all back, transported them all back uh, into the ark. Well, you know, that's completely fictitious. That couldn't have happened. Purely um, Noah didn't even know what animals he was supposed to get, where he could find them. He had no way of getting to uh, Australia, to North America, South America. Uh, you know, he didn't have the logistics for uh, transporting all of those animals back to the ark. So that, we, that's completely uh, erroneous uh, viewpoint. Um, another viewpoint that then gets put across from biblical scholars as such is they say, okay, well, what God did is that he made all the animals come to Noah. And that is partly true, because that's exactly what God did. But the, the way that they, they, they propagate that, that viewpoint is that all of the animal, animals that God wanted at the ark began to migrate to the ark when um, Noah started to build it. And so you have the uh, animals in Australia, in the tip of Africa, far, far points of Asia, South America, North America, they all begin to start walking towards the ark over this period of time. But again, that is completely impractical as well because it would have taken some of those animals roughly 30 years to get from uh, South America, for argument's sake, through to Noah's location. Now, the average lifespan being 10 years, you're looking at three generations before that, that, that uh, uh, male and female team get ever reached to um, Noah's location. Um, and so that's not a feasible aspect, but also don't forget, you've got oceans that are dividing the continents at that time, and so animals can't get across the oceans either. So that particular explanation is not um, valid. 
Um, and also the archaeological evidence, there's no fossilized remains of animals that have migrated all over the planet. It, it, it just that the theory kind of just falls flat and scientists are able to ridicule it. But the theory, as I say, is partly true. Why do I say that? Because the animals that were within walking distance of the ark, because the scripture does say, that God said to Noah, the animals will come to you. So God was the one that caused the animals to come to Noah to put onto the ark. In fact, God would have put them onto the ark himself. Noah, they would have just walked in, they would have known where to go, and uh, Noah would have just you know, watched the whole thing unfolding. But the animals that were in close proximity to, to Noah were within walking distance, obviously they did reach the ark under their own power. That was not an issue. But you do get the polar bears up in the North Pole area and you get the kangaroos down in Australia. How did they get to the ark? Well, again, we have now uh, scriptural accounts of how God sorted that particular issue out. Um, and that is, God would have transported them by the Spirit. That's exactly how He's shown us. He's done it in, in, in the Bible. We have biblical accounts of God doing that. And that's how he would have done it with the animals as well. A couple of examples we can see is when God uh, transported Philip to Azotus. Um, sorry, from Philip from Gaza to Azotus. He transported him in the, in the spirit. Um, and that's in Acts chapter 8 verse 39 and 40. And then we've got the account of uh, the Lord transporting Jesus and the disciples and their boat from the middle of the Lake of Galilee to the town of Capernaum again in the spirit. And you know, the, the, the scriptural accounts of Elijah also was transported in the spirit. And so all of these are biblical accounts of what God has done. That's what we saw with regards to the deep sleep and God holding the uh, animals in place because we saw what he did to Ezekiel. And we see in scripture how God transports his, his um, humans in the spirit from one place in the, on the planet to another place in, in the planet instantly. And so that's exactly how God would have done it. He would have transported all the animals that he, he needed on the ark from wherever they were across the planet to Noah's location. They would have then been entered into the ark, remained there. At the end of that one year period when they exited the ark, God would have then taken them in the spirit back to Australia, back to the North Pole, back to um, North and South America, all over the planet. And so it wasn't uh, Noah's uh, problem to try and get everybody there. Uh, God did that and he did that supernaturally. So we're looking at the supernatural aspects of God's involvement in the flood account in order for the flood account to actually work. And so we can see how there was the natural aspect and then the supernatural aspect. And this is how God got involved and thus was able to bring about the um, saving of all of the animal species on the earth that he, ne he needed to have saved. So what about the flood itself? Because there are a lot of, um, even biblical scholars, who would argue that the flood was not global, but was actually a regional flood. It didn't cover the whole earth. Now the reason that they say that is because they can't get their minds around the fact that God could have covered the whole earth in water because now don't forget we're looking at Mount Everest as being one of those that would have been covered in water because the biblical account is very clear that up to seven meters above the mountains the water level was and so 
everything was covered in water. But you know, the, the, the people that discount that the, the earth could have been submerged in water, forget about the fact that even scientific evidence proves that right at the outset, the earth was submerged in water. So where did all that water go? Well, obviously it went into the subterranean regions of the earth. And so the water was there because you know, the scientists and, and the skeptics and even some biblical scholars say, well, there's not enough water on the planet to um, cover the whole earth and submerge the whole earth in water. But as I say, I mean, the earth originally was covered with water. Where did that water go? It's gone into the subterranean regions on the earth. And the scripture does talk about um, during the time of the flood that God broke open the, the, the great deep. Genesis chapter 7 verse 11 and so it's quite possible that during the time of the flood God released water from the subterranean uh, regions of the earth to also engulf the surface of the earth and so with regards to the flood itself with regards to the rain and again don't forget even the biblical scholars that say no it was a regional flood it wasn't a global flood because there wasn't enough water for argument's sake well they, you know they, they are discounting God's comments completely because um, God put his covenantial rainbow into the earth after the flood. Genesis chapter 9 verse 12, 16, 216 should I say. So God is very plain about the fact that the, the rainbow had not been seen on the earth before that. And so for a regional flood to have occurred, well it means that the rainbow had been on the earth all the time because there had been rain on the earth all the time. And that's not true, that didn't happen. Um, they also... Um, discount the fact that by saying that there had always been rain on, on the earth all the time, God said no. God in Genesis 2.5 said to us, there was no rain on the earth at, during that time, that he walked, watered the earth by mist. So they're discounting God's comment on, on that issue. And um, again, as I say, they, they talk about the fact that there'd always been a rainbow on the earth, but that's not true. God said otherwise. And so they kind of accuse God of lying by saying no. Uh, this was a regional flood, couldn't have been a global flood. It's silliness. We can understand that the worldly people, scientists saying that, but uh, biblical scholars, they should not be trying to accuse God of lying. So how was it possible that the earth was able to be submerged underwater completely? Well, the average height of the uh, exposed land of the earth is 841 meters above sea level. That's the average across the planet. And so in order for um, sufficient water rain to have fallen during that time period, because we're talking about a 40-day period, um, because don't forget, the, the scriptures do tell us that the waters at the end of the flood uh, were 15 cubits above the highest mountains. That translates to roughly 7 meters. And so in order for enough water to have accumulated to that height, there had to be a consistent rainfall of 89 centimeters per hour for, 40, uh, for full, the full 40 days and obviously 40 nights. If that amount of rain had fallen, uh, 89 centimeters per hour, then that would have translated to a resulting water level of an average of 854 meters above sea level. Well, that obviously covers then the average of the 841 uh, meters of the landmass that is above the earth today. And so quite clearly that would have worked. In the past, the highest rainfall recorded by mankind is 40 centimeters in one hour that occurred in China. 
1975. And so clearly in the natural this couldn't have happened, but God in the supernatural did cause it to happen. So he caused enough rain to fall on the earth. He broke open the deeps, the Bible, the, deep, the levels of the deep, the Bible does talk about that. The great deep, sorry, being broken up and the fountains of the great deep being broken open in order to flood the earth. And so God did definitely flood the entire planet with water. The entire planet was completely submerged underwater during that 40 day period. It stayed submerged for a full year while it, it started obviously getting less and less and less as God caused the wind to come upon the earth to dry the earth out. And so that water God could have quite easily have just removed from the earth or he could have put it back into the subterranean regions of the earth. But it was definitely a globalized flood that occurred. People then argue and they say, but what about all the plant life? Surely all well, the plant life would have died being underwater for one full year. Most definitely that would have happened. However, the seed of the plant life would have remained in the soil underneath that water. When the water evaporated, that seed from the soil would have been sprung to life once again. And all of the plant life would have been um, restored to the earth. So that's how the flood account actually did it take place. There was natural elements to it, but there was also the supernatural elements to it, in that God caused the animals to go into a deep sleep. He held them in fixed in place for the full year. They didn't need water. They didn't need uh, food. They had no bowel movements at all, no waste produce um, taking place. They needed the empty volume in the, in the ark in order for ventilation to take place. God transported supernaturally all of the animals from every point on the, on the planet to the ark. Uh, at the end of the, the flood account, when they exited the ark, God then again supernaturally in the spirit transported all of the animals, animals back to the various locations on the planet where God needed them to be. And it was definitely a full flood of the earth. Every land mass was covered with water. Uh, it was not a regionalized, regionalized flood account that occurred. And that brings us to the end of the flood account. Uh, in the next um, teaching in the series, we're going to have a look at certain um, narratives around the creation account and just have a look at how false some of them actually are. We're going to end the teaching in that particular point.